Welcome to Choate's Post Roe v. Wade podcast series, hosted by a multidisciplinary team of attorneys discussing the potential Supreme Court overturn of Roe v. Wade and its impact on employers, professionals, healthcare providers, data and privacy service providers, educational institutions, and investors. I want to welcome or welcome back our listeners as we explore another topic on our Post Roe v. Wade podcast series. I'm Christine Savage, co-chair of Choate's Healthcare Practice, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Sarah Frank. We're going to spend a few minutes exploring a few of the more vexing issues that individual clinicians providing abortion or termination for medical reasons, TFMR services, may face in a post-real world, and as we'll discuss, are already facing in many cases. We'll also talk a bit about the impact that these issues have on those clinicians' patients. Sarah, I know you've spent some time looking into the potential impact of existing and proposed state abortion laws on a physician's willingness to provide these services to patients. Can you talk a bit about what you found and maybe even about what surprised you? Hi, Christine, and thank you. I've been surprised even now before the court's final decision at the reticence clinicians may feel about providing an abortion as standard medical treatment when presented with a medical emergency. But for states with medical emergency exemptions, Don't those provide physicians with some clinical autonomy without risk to their license or certainly criminal prosecution? Not without complications. You're right, many states contemplate exceptions for medical emergencies and or to save the life of the woman. For example, Mississippi law, which is the one supported by a court majority in the Dobbs draft, bans most abortions after the first 15 weeks of pregnancy, except for a medical emergency or severe fetal abnormality. But the question facing providers in states passing restrictive abortion laws is how to balance your Hippocratic oath and the responsibility to provide adequate medical care to your patients with compliance with state abortion law and avoiding criminal prosecution, particularly when running afoul of either could result in a challenge to your medical license, which is regulated by the states themselves. You're talking about situations like treating active miscarriage or profuse bleeding, preeclampsia, circumstances where a physician might usually look to a DNC as standard medical treatment? Yes. States with medical emergency exceptions would suggest some allowances for medical discretion. But when they're vaguely defined, what does a provider do when presented with what appears to be a medical emergency in his or her clinical judgment? It's a catch-22. Some might be wary of aborting based on the risk of prosecution, investigation, leading to license, revocation, or regulatory scrutiny that might ensue. Idaho's trigger law puts the burden on the physician as an affirmative defense to prosecution that an abortion was performed based on his or her best medical judgment to save the life of the woman. As a practical matter, physicians may be fearful to take that risk, even in circumstances they deem necessary in their best medical judgment. Yet, if withholding standard treatment to a patient, a provider may face potential medical malpractice or face license revocation for failing to provide necessary care. It's a tough place for clinicians to find themselves in, particularly when a patient presents with an urgent medical need. We use Mississippi's medical licensure regulations as an example. Again, the practice of medicine is regulated by the states. A physician is unqualified as evidenced by behavior including incompetent professional practice, unprofessional conduct, or any other dishonorable or unethical conduct likely to harm the public. So the Board of Medical Licensure can discipline physicians, which could result in suspension or termination of license. 
these Mississippi regulations alone demonstrate this tension between competing priorities. Because when does competent professional practice based on evidence-based medicine could at the same time be seen as dishonorable or unethical by the state? These seem like situations that might be encountered not just by providers at abortion clinics, but the average OBGYN, primary care physician, or an emergency department provider who may not typically think of themselves as an abortion provider, per se. Yes, and of course, a state law lacking a medical emergency exception would seemingly put this tension into even starker contrast. Or when state law provides for a life-threatening medical emergency exception, but the medical emergency, though serious, may not be life-threatening or life-threatening to the woman. Seems like the effect of medical emergency versus life-threatening could have a range of outcomes in medical practice. Absolutely. This can be a relevant point even in states perceived as strongly pro-choice. Here in Massachusetts, abortion is legal up to 24 weeks, at which point abortion is only permitted under certain enumerated circumstances that are based on the physician's medical judgment. Yeah, I saw the Boston Globe recently featured a story about a Massachusetts woman in her third trimester who traveled to Maryland to terminate her pregnancy after learning the baby she was carrying had a condition where fetal death was not a certainty. Uh, doctors had predicted a 50% survival rate before birth, uh, but with obvious serious medical complications if the baby uh, did survive birth. Her experience shows the challenges facing clinicians and patients. Here, she ultimately had the procedure in Maryland where the state clearly permitted it in such circumstances. We see providers are in the position not just to make difficult clinical decisions, but to weigh those decisions within the legal statutory context in a highly charged political environment. Christine, I, I know you've looked at the potential impact of professional conduct rules that might be used to dissuade or penalize clinicians who provide abortion services, even when those services are provided elsewhere. I have, and it's another area of potential legal and professional concern for clinicians, and particularly those who hold licenses to practice in multiple states. Even the specter of a complaint can be problematic, as most states require providers to report any lawsuit, settlement, or even complaint related to their professional activities to their respective boards of medicine in each of the states in which they practice, as well as to insurers. And the definition of unprofessional conduct can be quite broad. In some states, like Oklahoma, it includes things like conduct likely to harm the public or false and misleading statements about the value of a specific treatment. Additionally, most states require providers to report unprofessional conduct by another provider licensed in the state, affectionately referred to as the rat rule. With such broad definitions of unprofessional conduct, I wouldn't be surprised if providers opposed to abortion uh, and potentially even members of the state board of registration in states with restrictive abortion laws started to make claims that providers offering those services in other states proposed legislation includes provisions restricting access to medication-based abortion services and makes clear that a failure to comply with all aspects of the restrictions automatically constitutes unprofessional conduct for which disciplinary action would be appropriate. So if I'm licensed in New York and in Oklahoma, and someone files a complaint in Oklahoma that I'm providing abortion services in New York, which are harmful to the public, I would have to now notify New York or any other state where I'm licensed that I have a complaint filed against me? Likely, yes. I mean, you'd need to check the state-specific laws and regulations uh, in each jurisdiction where you're licensed, but many states do have this type of requirement. 
And frankly, this may cause some providers to simply give up their licenses in secondary jurisdictions, such as those that kept their license from the state where they did their residency or fellowship. For others, it may discourage them providing much-needed telehealth services in jurisdictions with restrictive laws, even when those telehealth services have nothing to do with abortion. Additionally, because complaints and disciplinary actions often are listed without details on public websites and physician review platforms, there could be significant reputational damage to the physician that he or she could face more difficulties to jobs in the future. That's absolutely right. And then we get to the not-so-hypothetical scenarios where doctors licensed in several states have to consider whether disciplinary action in one state based on an act that also constitutes grounds for action in a second state may lead to the suspension or termination of their license, even though that state had no connection to the activity in question. So let's say there's a physician licensed in several states. State one severely restricts access to abortion services and claims to have extraterritorial reach over acts involving its citizens. By contrast, the second state protects access to abortion services regardless of reason up to 24 weeks gestation. The patient travels from the first state to the second state to have an abortion that she could not have obtained in her home state. State one finds out about it and takes disciplinary action against the physician. If there are other states where that physician is also licensed and they have laws similar to state one, those states may now be able to take disciplinary action against the physician, even though no resident from that state was involved, and even though the conduct was legal where it took place. Seems to me like these laws also have the potential to damage the physician-patient relationship in new ways. Physicians may not want to enter into a physician-patient relationship with a patient who lives in or has a strong connection to a state with an abortion ban or restrictive laws that might subject them to potential liability. But requiring a patient to certify that they are not a resident of or do not have close ties to specific states before counseling or treating them has the potential to create real barriers to care and may convey to patients that physicians don't trust them or are worried about their legal risk more than the patient's needs. I agree with you. And no matter what, there will always be gray areas. Take, for example, an out-of-state college student studying in Massachusetts who both became and learned she was pregnant while in Massachusetts. She's still considered by her home state to be a resident, and that state severely restricts access to abortion, and she would not be able to obtain one in her home state. She then proceeds to have a medication-based abortion in Massachusetts, but someone in her home state, which has a civil bounty law, finds out about it and now seeks to hold the Massachusetts physician responsible. If her college was the one that provided the abortion services, that same individual might go after the institution itself. But we'll save the potential impact on college health centers and medical schools for another episode. For now, we want to thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll check out other episodes of our post-Roe v. Wade series. For more information, please visit www.chote.com. You can also listen to additional podcast episodes in the newsroom of our website and subscribe to them wherever you listen to podcasts, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. The information presented in this recording is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice for a specific situation. If you wish to obtain legal advice, you should retain an attorney and explain the facts of your particular situation.